what is the thing that you value most in this world? That's not a rhetorical question. I actually want you to think about that. Don't say it out loud, but in your head, we're going to awkwardly stare at each other for the next 10 seconds while you think about what it is that is most valuable to you in this world. Our gospel presents us with two individuals today. Each of them finds something that represents great value to them, a treasure in a field and a pearl of great price. They are willing to change their entire lives for it. They cannot imagine their lives without these things. But treasure can be stolen and stolen back. Pearls can easily be dissolved in vinegar. None of these things endure or provide security forever. So I ask you again, what is it that is most valuable in this world? Now, when I asked myself this question, I immediately thought of my phone. My phone is rarely ever out of my hand, my pocket, or my vision. I am always using it to tell me where I need to be or what I'm supposed to be doing. It serves to slake boredom and to aid in my work. It's a form of entertainment and sometimes ministry. It helps me stay on task at times and other times horribly distracts me. But I have the beautiful advantage of being born in the 1900s, as the kids say. So I remember a time before we had cell, phone, cell phones in our pockets, when you had to remember people's landline numbers and you could just make up wild facts on the spot because no one had the internet in their pocket to fact check you. So I know that I can live without a phone. It's not vital. It's nice. It makes life way easier, and I really enjoy it. But it is not my most valuable possession. Drop it in water for long enough or deep enough, and it's gone forever. I next thought about my Jeep. I love my Jeep. When I was four years old, I knew three things about life. I wanted to grow up and have the physique of He-Man, master of the universe. I wanted to be covered in tattoos, and I wanted to drive a red Jeep Wrangler. Two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> now, I have loved Jeeps for a long time, and this is actually the second red Wrangler that I have owned. Now, cars in general are quite expensive. With the price of microchips, supply chain issues, and inflation, everything is expensive. But if you were to assign a monetary value to everything I own, it would probably be the most expensive thing that I do own. And the only way that I was able to afford it is because the diocese helps priests purchase a car after ordination because it is integral to ministry. Now, in seminary, we would hear stories of before cars existed back in the 1700s when priests would ride hundreds of miles on horseback just to celebrate the sacraments. They would fill us with hope that one day we could spend ourselves in the service of the Lord covering such a vast territory. Now, when I was younger, I actually used to ride horses and was quite good at it. So I could easily ride a horse to continue my priestly ministry if I needed to and cars were no longer available. So my car is not the most expensive thing I own. Well, I'm sorry, it is the most expensive thing, but not the most valuable thing I own. Even if I had no horse, I have feet. Jesus walked all over back and forth and was able to perform his priestly ministry with no horse or jeep, so it appears that I wouldn't need these things either. And anyway, a car can be destroyed by fire, 
collision, or merely just time. Now, maybe you're waiting for me to say something churchy, because after all, it's church, and Jesus is always the answer, right? So let's talk about my chalice, actually. It's the thing covered in green, not the deacon. Go behind him. Other thing covered in green. (laughs) Now, this chalice is very sentimental to me. You see, my very best friend in the whole world is a cloistered nun in Williamsburg, Virginia. And if you'll give me a minute, I will connect the two. Now, she is part of the beloved Poor Clares of Barmsville, Virginia. And these women are, I'm not kidding, the spiritual Navy Seals of our diocese. They are cloistered nuns living poverty with the most joy that you could ever imagine after the lives of St. Francis and St. Clair. My friend's name is now Sister Chiara Marie of Jesus, but before she was Sister Chiara, we were best friends. Two young adults in Virginia Beach discerning our separate vocations together as friends. She entered the cloister during my second year of seminary. During Christmas break, Easter break, and most of the summertime break, I would go up about once a week to serve Mass for the sisters and visit my friend from afar. As I grew to love all of these women, I desired to let them know of my appreciation. So as a seminarian, I decided that when I was ordained a deacon, I would give to them my very first homily. And I liked it so much that a year later, I gave them my very first Mass, even before my mother saw me celebrate Mass. During the years that I served Mass for them in seminary, I saw a variety of chalices that they own. Now, the priest, when he arrives to say Mass there, doesn't get a choice. You get whatever Sister Sacristan puts out. But one day, as I was clearing the altar for Father Jerry, I noticed the chalice being used. It had an image on the top of the cup of the marriage of Mary and Joseph. It's a beautiful image that is not often depicted in Catholic imagery. After Mass, I asked to see the chalice, and I took pictures from top to bottom because I knew I had to have something as beautiful. I spent months searching for it. I looked literally all over the world with the help of the Internet. But finally, I found it. It was in New York, an exact replica of the one that the poor Claire's had because it itself was a replica of a chalice made at the turn of the last century in France. My parents, knowing of the search I had been on for many months, and also knowing that when a man leaves seminary, the thing that he uses every single day of his priesthood, if he is lucky, is his chalice and patent. So on the spot, they gave me the funds to buy it. The chalice is a classic gift from the parents to the son right before he gets ordained. Now, I will not tell you the exact dollar amount, but I will tell you that it was multiple thousands of dollars. And while it may be only a fraction of what my Jeep costs, it holds the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Savior, the actual master of the universe. But even these vessels used in the sacred sacrifice of the altar are not the most valuable things I own. If I did not have them, I would still be able to say Mass. Vietnamese cardinal and hopeful saint Francis Xavier Wen Van Tuan was a bishop and prisoner at the same time. Faithful Catholics would smuggle in drops of wine and crumbs of bread while he was a prisoner in solitary confinement. He would say Mass, kneeling, holding out the crumbs and the drops of wine in his hands, saying the Mass from memory. So the patent and chalice are not the most valuable things I own.
Take a rough towel to the inside of that chalice or a small hammer and it will destroy it. Now maybe you think you are wise and you've heard most of my homilies for a year or for now and usually they contain a misdirect or two. Maybe you just listen to every homily I record and know that my health was recently on the rocks. That greatly clarified to me the importance of health. In the words of St. John Chrysostom from the third century, the healthy person worries about many things. The sick person worries about one thing. Pleasure can often be ignored, but pain must always be addressed. Now, I like to think of myself as generally a healthy person, especially for the last four years. But with my recent health problems, I am not at 100%. So I don't even have my health right now. Health is clearly not the most important thing that I own. And furthermore, which one of us owns our health? Sickness seems to be the great humanitarian equalizer. I feel like COVID taught us that. You can be the most important person in the world or the least insignificant, and a tiny virus, bacteria, spore, or parasite doesn't care about your education, doesn't care about your title, your career aspirations, or your dreams. It will strike you down regardless. Now, good health is a multifactorial entity. Many factors we have input over. Nutrition, physical exercise, creative expression. But on any given Sunday, as they say, anyone can be subject to an accident or come down with an illness and never recover. So who can say that they own their health or can preserve it or prolong it? I say this as a critical, para critical care paramedic of 15 years. When the heart stops beating, we can't start it again. So now that I have greatly depressed everyone and brought you closer to the brink of nihilism that says nothing matters, which then actually leads us to hedonism, which says do whatever feels good, let me try to redeem this. If we have succumbed to hedonism, by the way, we are no different from, uh, than society. What is the most valuable thing you own and can also control and isn't subject to random accident or disease or fire or time? Physically speaking, anything comprised of matter is subject to decay and breakdown over a long enough period of time. So merely out of self-preservation, if we could create something that was super valuable, it would be subject to breakdown. The only thing that would suffice is something that is pure spirit, that which cannot be changed, aged, or hurt. The only being that we know that is pure spirit and not subject to time or change, is God. God is eternal, unchanging, ever-existing and always the same. He isn't even he. God does not have gender because he encompasses all that is masculine and all that is feminine. But while God contains all that is masculine and feminine, God created humanity distinctly in male and female, and that cannot change. We call him Father because Jesus did and also taught us to do so. But God does not have a body. If he did, he would also be subject to decay and age. So any picture that we have of an old white guy in the clouds with flowing white hair and a white beard is actually terrible theology. More properly understood, here's how I want you to think of God. Think of him as a puff of smoke that doesn't dissipate. 
That's the only real conceptualization of a pure spirit being that we can understand. But it's really hard for us to feel loved by that. Think of this if you're a child and your catechism teacher says the following. God is an amorphous, ethereal, blob-like thing that loves you. <laughs> what? Seems kind of not awesome, okay? So we understand it by saying God is Father and loves you like a father should. And since all of us have fathers, we know what that is supposed to mean. In Genesis, it says that we are made in God's image and likeness. But I have just spent 255 words in the last paragraph alone telling you that God doesn't have matter or form. So what the heck does God look like that we share in his likeness? We share in his likeness. He does not share in ours. Think of it this way. Your shadow on a sunny day shares in your likeness, but it does not fully encompass who you are. The chief similarity or way in which we are most like God in his purest essence is the fact that we contain a soul. Our soul cannot be located in any physical organ. We have this thing that belongs to us and cannot break down. It lives on eternally, forever without end. And therefore, because it is eternal, that makes its value incalculable. And the fact that we have that in us, which cannot be seen, is still very present, lives on forever, and comes from the source of all truth, beauty, and goodness, that is exactly how we share in the image and likeness of God. It's because of our soul. God does not have ten fingers and toes, and I am sorry to burst that bubble. But despite his lack of digits, God has given us freely something so much better than phalanges to share with him. God is eternal and has made parts of us to be eternal. Unlike health, which can be snatched from us, our soul finds its terminus in heaven or hell as a direct result of the attention we give or do not give to our spiritual health. We will have no one else to thank or to blame except ourselves when we find ourselves forever in heaven or in hell. So what are you willing to do to make sure it ends up where you want. When you figure that out, you are just starting to think like the man in the gospel who sells everything to buy the field with the treasure in it.